It is, uh, it is great to have everybody in-house. It's great to have everybody on Facebook joining with us um, online. And let's be honest, that was, that was super weird, right? That was, that was kind of weird, but at least it gave you, a, you know, it woke you up. How about that? Hey, we have come to the end of our 21 days of prayer. Uh, we had about 150 of you who um, prayed every day for 21 days with us, and we can't be uh, grateful enough for that. Um, the goal of this whole series was to take prayer from a duty to a delight. And the 21 days have ended, but prayer will not end, right? We, we will keep going with that, and uh, hopefully we've on-ramped you to a life of uh, constant conversation that you have with God. That's what we want, from duty to delight. I want you to go back when you were a kid, um, or sometime where somebody put a plate of food in front of you that you were like, no, uh, that's not happening. Uh, what was that thing? Somebody be bold when you were a kid, what was the thing that, no, 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 I'm not eating that. Boiled spinach, yes, I'm with you there. Peas. So, snails? Escar Somebody gave you snails when you were a kid? Just wanted you to try them. That's kind of evil, man. Yeah, I'm with you there, okay. Uh, my wife, we were talking about this earlier and uh, this week, and she said when they were a kid, it was peas, okay? And it was the school peas in particular. They would go to the cafeteria and they were in a situation where you could not go out to recess and play until your plate was clean. And so, while the teacher wasn't looking, they would take their milk cartons and they would stuff their peas in the milk carton and, and that way their plate was clean, they could go out and play. That was a duty, right? It was a duty to eat peas back then. But now, glad to say, peas are no problem for Amy. Uh, they just go their delight. They go with whatever else is on the plate. And in fact, it's been a good couple of months now. She hasn't hidden a single pea. She's gone out to, she's gotten to go outside and play. I've let her do that. And uh, 2021 is shaping up to be a good year for her. We have fun, that's what we do. Um, somewhere in your journey, it changed, right? The, uh, think about all of those canisters that are on the salad bar that when you were a kid, you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, uh, the beets, the broccoli, the okra, the sprouts, the peppers, whatever they are. And now, something changed, right? It, it, it used to be a duty, but now it's a delight. And what, what if we could make prayer the same way? That's the goal. Sometimes we have seasons as Christians where prayer is a duty. It's something we've been called to. Uh, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And I think when we see prayer for what it is, for the smorgasbord that it could be, uh, that's what we've talked about. Prayer is not just a, a single dish, not just a bowl of peas, but prayer is a whole buffet line uh, in front of us. And um, when we see what it really is, it can become a delight to us. That's, that's the goal. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to pray... On all occasions, the, the series is pray first in every situation. How many of those do you have every day? Uh, you have 
all kinds of different situations, breakfast, drive to work, teach the class, take the break, get to the appointment, go to practice, do the chores, pay the bills. All of those are situations. And Paul says in every occasion, uh, pray first. Make time in a few seconds, maybe a minute, maybe five minutes, and invite God into that thing. And then Paul also encourages us with, encourages us with all kinds of prayers. You mean there's more than one kind of prayer? Yes. There's all kinds of different ways to pray, and we, that's what we've been discussing in the second half of this series. We talked about praying through the Lord's Prayer. That's what we just did through, through the heart. That's what we've been doing each week, just trying to uh, get ourselves used to that so it's, so it's familiar to us. We talked about the prayer of the tabernacle, that that can be a model of prayer. The parrot prayer of Jabez was last week. And to be honest, there are, there are all kinds of those kind of models. If we... Uh, there are so many different ways to pray that this part of the prayer series literally could have gone until June. We could have met here every week with a different pattern of prayer, a different way to pray, but I didn't want you to start hiding peas on me, okay? And so we're going to leave those for another time, and today we will end our series with a prayer that, a uh, pattern of prayer that might become the most meaningful of all of them to you. And we're going to call it the prayer of the sheep, the prayer of the sheep. In the Old Testament, there are covenantal names of God. And all of those covenantal names of God are shoved into one little famous psalm. It's probably the psalm that we love uh, most by far. Uh, I can hardly think of a funeral that I've done or I've been a part of where this psalm hasn't been read. And of course, what I'm talking about is Psalm 23. It's on the screen. Uh, you don't have to guess, right? And next to the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23 is the second piece of Scripture that you probably know by heart without realizing that you know it by heart. Um, the psalm was written by David, the psalmist. And if you know the story of David, we have to go back to where this psalm might have, have come from. And it comes from his days as a shepherd. David was a shepherd as a, as a boy um, and out watching the sheep. He was also a singer and a songwriter and a stone thrower. He practiced throwing his, throwing his stones with a sling and he loved God. And so as he was out in the sh with the sheep, leading and guiding and healing and defending, uh, inevitably, he, he tells this story that there would be a, a bear or, or some other wild animal that, he, that would come and, and try to attack the sheep. And so he would get his sling out with a stone and he would kill that wild animal and defend his sheep. And you can imagine after one of those kind of events, David going to his sheep after this bear is, you know, dead on the ground and thinking to himself, do you realize what I just did for you? And, and the sheep are oblivious, right? The sheep are, they, they have no idea that he has just saved them. And then all of a sudden it dawns on David, oh my goodness, just as I am a shepherd to these sheep, God is a shepherd to me. And the singer-songwriter springs into action, and he writes this song, and we call it Psalm 23. I want you to read it with me. Words are very familiar. Let's read it aloud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the prayer that we can use today. It's found in these words, and in these words there are covenantal names of God that we can use as a framework for our prayers. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and a righteous man runs into it. And that's what David is doing in Psalm 23. He's running to the names of God, and we can do that as well in our own prayers. And I have to say, uh, before the prayer series, I didn't know that this was a part of the 23rd Psalm. I didn't know that these names were in there. And so I hope you will come to appreciate it as I have. The psalm starts this way, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, not the shepherd, but my shepherd. David says, God, you are my savior. You are my friend. You know me personally. You are my shepherd. In each of us, uh, in each of these ideas today, there's a corresponding name of God. And for uh, some of you are Hebrew nerds out there. I know it. I, I can just see it looking at you. And you want to know the Hebrew uh, name behind these uh, names of God. And so the first Old Testament Hebrew name for God is this, Jehovah-Rohi. Jehovah-Rohi. And it simply means this, you are my pastor. You are my pastor. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, that's what he's saying. Every one of us needs a pastor. Every soul needs to be fed and cared for. That's why we commit to a church family. That's why we come to this place and look to our right and to our left and say, you know what, these are the people that are going to care for me and feed me, and these are the people that I'm going to care uh, for. When everybody cares for each other, then no one is uncared for, Uh, and that's how we pastor at this church. Um, We are not a church with three or four paid people who pastor. We are a church with hundreds of people who pastor each other. But it gets better than that because uh, David says, God is your pastor. He's your chief shepherd. Now, sheep are cute, right? Uh, They can even take their own selfies. Here's one. That's awesome. Uh, But they also have their quirks. I'm not going to say sheep are dumb because they're really not, but they do have some iffiness about them. First, they have a terrible sense of direction. Uh, they are very easily preyed upon. They, they have very few, if any, defenses. It's kind of like throwing a cotton ball at, at somebody who's trying to punch you. Um, they are easily spooked. An unshorn sheep laying on its back with its belly face up literally cannot stand up because the weight of the fleece traps it on the ground. That sounds like me on Thanksgiving. <laughs> And they will die right there on the ground without help. A lost sheep will continue to graze and graze without end. That also is me on Thanksgiving. And uh, this, by the way, is called a riding lawnmower. That's what that is. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Okay. Um, 
a, a lost sheep grazing that way will die in a literal, literal matter of days from overeating um, if there's no shepherd. And on top of that, sheep are stubborn. And so the very nature of a sheep demands a shepherd. The shepherd is the only way the sheep keeps living. And you know where this is going. We are sheep. That's what David is writing. He understands I need a shepherd to take care of me. Otherwise, I'm dead. Thank you, God, that you are my pastor, Jehovah Rohi. And so we begin the prayer like this. Lord, thank you for being my pastor, my shepherd. Guide me today. Help me today. Speak me. Speak to me today. Help me to hear your voice and follow you because I risk death if I don't. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Because you are my shepherd, God, I know that you will take care of my needs. And this is a prayer saying, God, you are my provider. And for you Hebrew nerds, the covenantal name for God in in this line is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, maybe you've heard that before. In David's day, and even in ours, um, each sheep in the care of a shepherd meant wealth for the shepherd. And so the shepherd did everything he could do to take care of each sheep with great uh, care, ensuring that they had everything that they could possibly need. Every minute of a sheep's life was managed so that they would remain healthy. And David realizes that this is true for us as God's sheep. And I shall not be in want means at least two things. It means that I won't lack anything that I need when I follow God as shepherd. And it also means that even in hardships, I will have everything that I need if I trust and follow God. And you can't pray that prayer. You can't say, I will not be in want without having a firm conviction that God is a good shepherd and he will give you everything that you need that he will provide. The problem is we're stubborn. And we want, to, we want to provide for ourselves. We want to look to other things, our job, our spouse, our kids, our status, our wealth, to satisfy us instead of the shepherd. Those things, although they're not bad, cannot be where our trust is. They weren't designed to give you what you're trying to find. You're trying to find significance and identity and life and forgiveness and salvation. Those are the things that you really need. And those are the things that only God can give you. And he has. Paul says in Philippians, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so the prayer continues, God, thank you for giving me what I really need. Thank you for making the way for my salvation. Thank you for giving me life and worth. Give me more of what I need and open my eyes to the foolishness of the things that I think I need, but I really don't. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He, uh, he makes. This is uh, uh, an interesting line. If you don't lie down every once in a while, God will make you lie down for your own good. And a green pasture is where he will make you lie down. It's a place of abundance where sheep can graze and rest fully in in the right pasture like this. A sheep would grow to about 90 pounds, and that's a healthy sheep. And uh, the secret to a healthy sheep is rest and diet. It's not only about eating, but it's also about what a sheep has to do after they eat. They have to 
find a quiet place to lay down and digest so that they can be healthy. Besides quiet waters refers to a stream that is quiet as well. Sheep are very afraid of moving, uh, moving streams where there are rapids and current. They will not drink from a stream like that. And so the shepherd has to take great care to find a place where the water is still so that they can drink. And both of these ideas are about peace. David sings this in the song, you are my peace. I won't look for, any, for peace anywhere else. I won't look for peace in a bottle or a pill or the body of another person, not the advice of another person. My true lasting peace is going to come from you, God, alone, from all the green pastures and quiet waters that you will find for me. And this nature of God is called Jehovah Shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before, that Hebrew word. It's the word for peace. And what a beautiful thing to include in our prayers. What is making you anxious right now or worried right now? Is it work or money or health or family? A a majority of things that we worry about are self-induced because the mantra of the world is if one is good, then two is better. And so we want two dollars and two houses and two cars and two projects and two spouses. Well, maybe not, but you get where I'm going, right? And in those things, we think we will find peace. And the shepherd says, no, 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 I will give you peace. Let me lead you to peace. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. He is our peace. And so this part of the prayer is an acknowledgement that God is our peace. God, thank you for bringing me to the still waters, to the green pastures that even when there are storms around me, I can reside in the stillness and not be weighed down and trapped by worry or anxiousness because you are my peace, Jehovah, shalom. He restores my soul. The word restores literally means healed. The thought behind the word is restored back to its origin. And so for some of us in the room, we're a little farther down the road health-wise. And sometimes, don't you think, man, it would be nice to go all the way back to the beginning? Wouldn't it be nice to go back to pure, unwrinkled skin and clear sight, and you didn't have to put, a gla- put glasses on every day, or, or to have strength and energy that just doesn't quit like, like the kids that you see crawling around you? Or maybe, maybe it's your marriage. It, maybe your marriage started off good, but ma- now it's kind of off the rails, and to restore your marriage means to go back to the origin, back to that first date, back to that first I love you, back to the I do's. And so we have a God that wants to do that. We have a God who wants to take everything that sin and Satan has stolen from us and give it back. Here's, here's a way to cast off the old self and the dead life of sin and be restored to a newness of life. And so we, we say it this way, God, you are my healer. That's what David is saying here. The thought is about so much more than just physical healing. That's, that's what we think. The, these bodies that we have are going to die anyway, even if they're healed. Uh, you remember Lazarus? I've never met Lazarus. Lazarus died again, right? Even if we're healed, we will die. Our bodies are just tense. And so there's so much more to healing than just physical. I need healing in my soul. My soul is 
the stubborn soul of a sheep, and it wants to go its own way. I need healing in my heart. My heart wants to do things all the time that if I follow it, it will destroy me. That's about the worst advice ever. Just follow your heart. No, my heart wants ho-hos and Twinkies all the time. That will kill me. Follow your healer. He wants to take everything that, that hurts and take it back to the beginning so that it's like it was at the first. And the covenantal name of God for this is Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah Rophi. He returns me back to the point of departure. Some of you support a, minis- a mission um, in our church called Rapa House. It's a, it's a ministry located in Joplin, and some of you have even been on trips um, that Rapa House started and, and sponsored. And Rapa is just a different way to pronounce Jehovah Rophi. And what it means is to take back to the beginning. And here's a ministry that is rescuing kids little girls from slave, slavery and sexual trafficking, and they're trying their best to take them back to the beginning, to the point of departure. Where did you start going off the rails? Let's take you back before that. That's what God wants to do. By his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed, and now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. He wants to do so much more than just heal your foot or your hand. He wants to heal your soul. And so this part of the prayer is, God, point out those places in my heart where I need fixed. Lord, I confess my brokenness to you. Come into my heart that sometimes I want to follow to my own destruction, and would you make it right again? Would you take it back to the point of origin? Take it back to before I started going my own way so that I can have a pure heart like I did in the beginning. Heal me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A shepherd that knows what they're doing will always lead their sheep from the front, never from the back. They will never get behind their sheep and try to push because they know that that produces fear and anxiety in the sheep. It it disturbs them. And so look what God does. He leads from the front. And where does he lead? He leads us to paths of righteousness. And so the prayer here is, you are my righteousness, God. The work of the cross, if you've trusted in Jesus, has made you right with God. All of your sin, all of your past, all of your present, all of your future, all sin is covered. You are absolutely unholy, but But because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done there and shed his blood and paid for your sin, you are now seen as holy. And that's the best news ever. He makes us righteous. But he doesn't just make us righteous. Now he leads us in that righteous path. Uh, One interesting thing about sheep is that they travel in straight lines. And if you're a shepherd that's calling from across a ditch, or if you're at the bottom of a hill and you're looking up and your sheep are up there and you call them, uh, that's a really bad thing because it means that they will just bolt in a straight line for you. And depending on the terrain, that could be dangerous. And so this, a good shepherd doesn't just call the sheep to him. A good shepherd goes to the sheep and leads them in the right path. Uh, sometimes if they're on a hill, that means... It's a zigzag path, and it's back and forth. It's not a straight line. The right path isn't the one that's always the straightest. The right path is the one 
that leads straight to the shepherd. And the right path prevents us from injuring ourselves when we follow him across the ditch or down the hill. And the, the Old Testament covenant name for this idea is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. He works the right path into our life. He leads us to it. We, we used to do stupid because we didn't know any better. <laughs> and God is now showing us a new way. And if we do stupid all over again, it's because we didn't follow his path. Hebrews, uh, 1 Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but be holy, just like God is holy. And so this part of the prayer is, God, help me to walk in your footsteps today. Help me to be wise and to see the path that leads, leads me over the cliff and also the path that leads me to the summit. And help me to see the path that you're leading me on. Help me to choose that path because that path leads to you and it leads to life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Kierkegaard said this, that life can only be understood if you look backwards. And I think that's what David is doing with this line. He's looking back over his life and he's, being, he's, he's seeing clearly that God has been with him every step of the way. And so God's name at this point in this line is there. Is that a name for God? Yes, there. His name is there? Yes, there. God, you are my constant commandment, companion. Whether I'm at the office or, the, or on a vacation or at school or, or in the grocery store or on a court or at a desk, you are there. The Hebrew name is Jehovah Shammah. It means that he is always by our side. There's no place that we can go where God is not. And David realized that with a God who is always there, then even walking through troubled times, turbulent times, the valley of the shadow of death, it's possible because God is a shepherd that will never leave me alone on the most dangerous of paths. His rod is there to keep me from falling off the cliff that the path might be um, against. And his staff is there to beat down anyone who jumps out from the shadows. Your rod, your staff, they comfort. And we can go to bed tonight at peace because we know he is there. Hebrews says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so this part of the prayer is, God, thank you for being there. You are constantly with me, no matter what life throws at me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. It's a, it's a wonderful line that maybe you've never stopped to really think through. What does it mean? You prepare a table for me. Okay. So I'm at a table, and I'm assuming all of the foods are there. All, uh, everything's ready for the feast. And at the very same time, as you call me to the table to feast, my enemies are in my face, and they're wanting to pick a fight. And at the very same time, you tell me to sit down and enjoy a meal. And so here's what Jesus is saying. You take care of the brisket, I'll take care of the bad guys. That's it. That's amazing. 
That's astounding. And so we get to pray this, God, you are my defender. You are my defender. And the fancy Hebrew for this is Jehovah Nisi. It means he is my banner of victory. Uh, it's, it's hurtful to have to talk about this, but the Chiefs actually lost the Super Bowl. That's terrible, <laughs> right? They had a great season, uh, but they just came up short. And what that means is that there were a bunch of boxes on their sidelines that day in the stadium, and there are probably a bunch of boxes around Kansas City and maybe even a box or two right here in Fort Scott, and those boxes never got open. Do you know what was in those boxes? Championship t-shirts, championship hats. Those boxes never got opened here. They were shipped uh, to some distant corner of the planet and somewhere, somewhere that nobody knows about the Super Bowl or who the Chiefs are, they're wearing Super Bowl champion Chiefs t-shirts and hats right now. That's what happened to those boxes. But could you imagine if before the game even started, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew, they went over to one of those boxes and they ripped it open and they put on those shirts, they put on those hats, even before the game had started. Now, athletes have pretty big egos, but no one, no one has yet tried that. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes out in front of the enemy with the championship hat on, the championship t-shirt, and says, I've already won. I'm already the champion. And the message to the enemy is, you've already lost. And so Jesus goes ahead of us in the fight, and he wins the fight. And so what is there for us to do now? Sit at the table. Enjoy some chips and guac. That's it. And that's astounding, and that's humbling, and that commands our allegiance. Now, if you think that's weird, and you think that's a foreign idea, it's absolutely, absolutely not. In a spiritual setting, that's the way it is, and, but there's also a very physical setting that that's happening right now. There are American soldiers all over the world right now carrying a flag. They're defending freedom. They're fighting for us right now, and what are we going to do after church is over? We're going to hit the buffet line, right? Somebody else is fighting in our place, and that's why we stand during the anthem. That's why we take off our hats. That's why we cross our hearts. That's why we salute, because someone else has fought in our place. And so this part of the prayer is, God, thank you that Jesus went to the cross and won the battle for me, that I'm not seen as a sinner anymore because he paid for sin. And I'm humbled that someone would go in my place, help me to honor Jesus who died in the battle with the way that I now live. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. When a feast was uh, held in David's day, fragrant oil would have been applied to the heads of the special guests in the room. And that was a, to anoint somebody this way was a, to show great respect and, and hospitality. And another sign of great respect and hospitality was when they sat down at the meal, it was to pour their wine in, into each glass right up to the top and even so that it overflowed. It was a great show of respect and a great show of hospitality. And so David's line of anointing and overflowing 
speak to the special standing that God, the shepherd, gives to each one of us. We are each anointed by God. We are each set apart for a purpose. There's something in your life that literally overflows. There's something in your life that comes easy for you. You really don't understand how other people can't do this same thing. It just flows out of you naturally. And that's the way God has anointed you. And that's what God is calling you to use whether it's singing or thinking or organizing, giving, encouraging, helping, leading, creating, systematizing, speaking, teaching, praying, counseling. There's something that God has given to you so that you can help others. And so we pray this at this point in the prayer. God, you are my sanctifier. Sanctifier means he set me apart for something special. God's Hebrew name for this action is Jehovah Mekadesh. You are called to something by God. Hebrews says, now the great shepherd of the sheep will equip you with everything good so that you can do his will. God has given you something that you now have to give to other people. And so this part of the prayer is, Lord, I'm just an average guy. But you've put your hand on me. You've given me something that is more than I need in some area of my life. And so let me recognize where my cup is overflowing and would you help me channel that overflow into the empty cups around me? Would you put empty people around me in this certain area so that I can fill them up? Here's the last line. David says, because you are all these things, God, eight names we've rattled off. Because you are all those things, God, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice that none of the song is about anything that David did. It's all about what God has done. And because of what God has done, oh, goodness and mercy forever, I'm going to be in His house from now on. God doesn't answer prayer based on who we are, but on who He is. That's how He answers prayer. And salvation works the same way today. Being right with God is not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And it's about just accepting the fact that He fought the battle for you so that all of your days can be filled with goodness and mercy. That, that sounds like something that we're probably all after anyway. And here's Jesus, the great shepherd, battling sin on your behalf, handing you goodness and mercy all the days of your life and even beyond, forever to dwell in the presence of the Lord. How do we do that? We follow. We follow the good shepherd. Maybe today you've never made that decision to follow. Follow the good shepherd in belief in repentance, in baptism. We would love to help you discover um, the voice of the Good Shepherd that can lead you to life today. Pray with me. Father, Jehovah Rohi, our pastor, thank you. Thank you for being our shepherd, our provider, our peace, our healer, our righteousness, our constant companion, our defender, our sanctifier. Would we know you by name, God, because 
You answer prayer based on who you are, not what we do. And we pray for prayer today, that it would be our first response, not our last resort. And it's in Jesus' name, the great shepherd and overseer of our souls that we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand and we are going to leave here singing about the beautiful name.